we've called this series Not Quickly Broken, which is hopefully going to be the opposite of your New Year's resolutions. And uh, that was a joke because usually they're very quickly broken. Um, but Second Chronicles 20 is where we're going to be. God just specifically guided me to this, this passage for our time this week, and I'm real excited about it. Uh, title of my message is Shaken and Stirred. Shaken and stirred, which is, uh, in addition to a great way to piss off James Bond, uh, doesn't want his martini shaken and stirred, just wants it shaken, not stirred. But our souls can be shaken and stirred. Amen? All right, Second Chronicles 20, it says, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. I want to talk to you for a little bit about this guy, Jehoshaphat. And uh, in addition to being a very fun name to say, Jehoshaphat, uh, he gives us a, a tremendous example of what it looks like to be not quickly broken. But before we can uh, really understand that, we need to understand what's happening as we jump into this, because it says it happened after this. So we're at a disadvantage if we're not like, you know, up to date on all that's been going on in Jehoshaphat's life lately. Uh, so here, here's basically what happened that brought us to this day. Jehoshaphat uh, had a good father uh, named Asa who, who set a good example for him. And Jehoshaphat took that example and ran with it. He took his godly father's uh, decisions and, and took them to a whole nother level and began to live a, a great life. As a king in Judah, the fourth king in, a, in the lineage of, of the kings of Judah, uh, he was 35 years old when he took the throne. And so you can imagine the pressure, I mean, being a relatively young man and, and now having the responsibility of a nation. And with that weight on him, he decided to do what all of us should do, to seek God, to want to please God, and to live his life out, uh, making God happy, not you know, looking for what do, we, what do the neighbors think? And what do other people do? What do the other kings uh, around me do? He wanted to seek after God. And he had a great benefit in having a good example from his father. Um, however, that being said, he also, as we all, made some mistakes. And his, his greatest mistake, really, of his life came just two chapters ago because of a bad friendship. Anybody can relate to a bad mistake made because you chose the wrong friend. Uh, I've, said it, I've said it before, I've said it again. There's nothing more critical than who you choose to do life with. Uh, who you do life with will, to a very large degree, determine the outcome of your life. Now, of course, the tension there is we want to have people that we can influence. But the, the critical balance is how to have people that you're influencing that you're not allowing to become an influence to your soul. And so I think what grounds us is where we allow the community of, of, of God's people to be the ones who are speaking into our lives. And we want to be in people's lives in this world and be on the journey with them and, and, and loving them to wholeness like Jesus, who got accused of, of being a party animal and accused of, of being a sinner because he was always hanging out with sinners, hanging out with anybody who would want to hang out with him. But you didn't see him going into those situations by himself. 
You'd see him grounding himself by bringing several of the disciples with him, several friends with him. And so I think, I think there's a wisdom to that. And especially, listen to me, to you, you young Christians who have you know, recently given your life to Christ. There's a real critical period where when you're new in your faith, you're easily swayed. And during that period, there, there sometimes needs to be, at least for a little while, a little a sort of a separation where you can have some godly voices really instilled in your life. And, and you're at a, a point where it could be easily a thing where you end up backsliding and going back to those old ways. And so you have to be ultra careful about that. Well, uh, Jehoshaphat's mistake was uh, his friend Ahab, who is also a king, king of Israel, and one of the most wicked people who ever lived. So there's that. Uh, he's like, hey, let's go to battle together. And Jehoshaphat didn't really, you know, think about whether, whether God would have him do this thing. He's just like, yeah, let's, let's roll. I'll, I'll just go hang. And Ahab goes, cool. I just want you to wear my uh, armor. And he didn't think to ask anything about that. But Ahab had all these people who were trying to kill him specifically. So when Jehoshaphat goes into battle, I mean, he should have thought something was up. That's kind of a weird request. Everyone starts trying to kill him. And so he realizes what's going on. He escapes barely from the situation. Ahab gets killed. And uh, he, he, he gets chastised by God. Like, you should have asked me about what I thought about this and not just your friend. And so what, 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 what came from that was a period of spiritual revival in his life. And sometimes those hard lessons we learn can actually prove to be some of the best moments we've ever gone through, where God really gets our attention and we just really go, you know, I really mean it. I was thinking as I was reading this, this passage this week, preparing to, to preach about how in my life, I, I got saved as a freshman in high school. You know, I grew up in church my whole life. I was practically born under a pew. It's a great visual image. Uh, <laughs> but when I was a freshman in high school, God really broke through. And I was at a, a summer camp, and it just it became clear to me that I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God. Yeah, I knew Bible verses, and I, I, I knew all about you know, the right things to say, but I, I realized in a moment, with, with the power and weight of like a truck hitting me, that I didn't know God. And so I gave my life to Jesus, and everything changed. And I began to really sense his voice and began to seek hard after him. And, and you know, there was, there was ups and downs in my spiritual journey, as there is for all of us. And one of the lowest lows of that spiritual journey came my senior year in high school. You know, I was, I was about to graduate, and it was a critical moment for me. I eventually went to Bible college out of high school, and, and that was really uh, where, where I began to, I mean, I, I had known from, from a very young age that... God had called me to preach, even before I was saved, right? Which, you know, it's really a funny thing to know what you're supposed to do for God before you even know God. Uh, but I, I, when I was two, I wanted to be a baker. Other than that, all I've ever known that I was supposed to do is to be a pastor. But uh, my senior year, I was about to make the, the critical decision to, to go to Bible college, but there was a real short period. My grandmother, who was an atheist up until her deathbed, and then she gave, gave her life to Jesus watching our Fresh Life webcast, and I got to preach her funeral. She called me out of the blue one day, and she just really began to say, hey, you are not supposed to go to Bible college. You're very smart. You're very articulate. You need to go to college and make something of yourself. And I, for some reason, some of that just kind of sunk in me. And so it was kind of a battle in my soul, that last little period of which way am I going to go. And for a little while, some of my friends uh, began that I was kind of hanging out with. Sometimes it began to, to you know, lead me the wrong direction. And a girl I was dating at work, it began to lead me a little bit in the wrong direction. So there was a real battle going on. And it hit a, a real moment of, of, of crisis 
when, when God just really showed me, like, you are meant to do something for me. Your life has a purpose more than just your own. You're not wasting your life to give it to me. And uh, I, I remember I was driving my car, and I just, I hit the brakes, and I pulled over on the side of the road, and I declared, like, this, this is it, God. I'm, I'm yours. And I, I ended up, you know, doing a little fast, um, uh, which I just felt the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. You need, you need a time of crisis. You need a time of hitting the brakes and, um, and sort of uh, in your soul having this be a, a line in the sand. And so that was really what, what happened. I, I took that time, um, ended up going to Mexico for a month on a mission trip. And when I got back from that, went straight to, to Bible college and, and began. But it was, it was like that uh, with Jehoshaphat. It was like it took him making that mistake and realizing the stakes and realizing how quickly he could do something that would mess up his life for him to go, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give even more of myself to you. So what followed is in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, one of the greatest spiritual periods in his life or in the, the kingdom of Judah, uh, where it, he, he does, listen to this, he does so much to, 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 to bring revival to Judah that he gets nicknamed David 2.0, which, like, that's a great day if you're a king. And they're like, you, God's like, you remind me of David. Like, that's a good thing. David was a man after God's own heart, an imperfect man for sure, but a man who sought God. And so Jehoshaphat starts getting styled as like David 2.0 because he's bringing such revival and reforming things and seeking God's heart and leading so well. It, you, you would almost think like you could just write happily ever after, except what you actually should write is after these things. And that brings us to 20, verse 1, when three different nations who probably couldn't agree on the color red all of a sudden wake up one day, bing, and go, you know what we should do? Work together to destroy Judah. You know what we should do? We should kill Jehoshaphat. Like, what, what, who's Jehoshaphat? Why do you care, Moab, Ammonites, Jebusites, whatever else it is? It says all these others. So three armies that we know of, plus others, just wake up all of a sudden like they own the place with some sort of supernaturally evil desire to crush Jehoshaphat. Why is this happening? Well, we don't, we don't get anything other than Jehoshaphat's perspective. Now put yourself in his shoes. You're seeking after God. You realize, I'm, I'm make, I'm a, I've made some mistakes. I've done some wrong things. I'm going to seek God. You, you, you make some hard decisions. You start cleaning house a little bit. You go through your phone. You're like, that app's got to go. <laughs> that app's got to go, too. Man, that person, I can't be hanging out with them. Every time, Friday night, 10 o'clock, get that text. Mistake, right? Wake up somewhere around Saturday at 10 o'clock, and I go, what have I done, right? That, that's got to go, and that's got to go. Can't be doing that anymore. I need to live for God. And, 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 and now a scout comes in. Here we are, verse 2. A scout comes and tells Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you. Oh, teamwork makes the dream work, pal. If you work for me, you're going to get crushed, too. I like how he says, they're coming to kill you, right? <laughs> from beyond the sea, from Syria. Oh, and they're in Hazazon. Tamar, which is in Gedi, which is several days away. So they're still days away, but he says, basically, this is not great. A huge army is coming to take you out. Now, how easy would it be? How easy is it for you at times to feel 
like, God, I'm trying to, ser- I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to get my, my life right. Do you ever think sometimes, like, it was almost easier just being a pagan? Like, it was almost just a little bit easier not honoring God? Like, God, if this is how you treat your friends, I mean, who needs enemies? Because, because the reality is, all we get is our limited perspective. We see ourselves trying to serve God, and we see, instead of green lights and rainbows and the front row parking space when we go to the mall, instead we see complexity and hardship and difficulty. And that's because we are blind to the the invisible reality that's always going on. And that is that there's a devil just as there's a God. And the God who loves you and wants to bless you and use you also has this created enemy called the devil who, for whatever reason, is given the permission to destroy you. And he would rather have you lukewarm. He would rather have you sinning. So as you start to blaze a trail of of goodness and glory and all the things God has for you, his desire gets to turn down the volume on your life. And one of the best, most effective ways he does that is to persecute you. That'll cause you to go, well, forget this then. Then I I don't need to do this for God if that's how God's going to treat me. And so we begin to stop serving God, which is the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. And Jehoshaphat, somehow deep down, he knew that. So notice what he does. Verse 3, I love this. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. So Jehoshaphat feared. That's human. That's normal. If you feel that reaction when three armies come against you, good. In fact, let me just put it this way. If you don't feel that reaction, go get an MRI. Something's wrong with you. When three armies join together to destroy you, your reaction should be fear. But he didn't stop at fear. He feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I love that verse. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. One, I, I grabbed a couple different translations and looked at the different ways it's rendered. One says, alarmed Jehoshaphat resolved. Alarmed on the inside, but he resolved anyway to trust in God. Afraid, another version says, Jehoshaphat set his face to seek after God. Afraid, he set his face to seek God anyway. One, one, one puts it this way, terrified Jehoshaphat begged God for guidance. Or you could put it this way, shaken Jehoshaphat stirred his soul up to seek after God. Come on, shaken and stirred. The enemy would, would have you think it has to be one or the other. Either you're shaken or you're stirred up for God. But I want to I present to you a different picture, a different reality of what it authentically looks like to follow God and to do his will. John Wayne said that courage isn't the absence of fear. It's feeling afraid but saddling up your horse anyway. And I think that's a realistic picture. At least I can tell you that from the 13 years of fresh life and watching God move in our ministry as we have, there has hardly been a moment that we have watched God move in power that there hasn't been fear or doubt or pain or grief. I'm telling you, fear is not the opposite of faith. It's the occasion for faith. Smack dab in the middle of your fear is an opportunity for you to have faith. I would actually put, take it even stronger and say that without fear, how can there even be the, the presence of faith? Because if we, if we understood everything, if we, if we saw everything, if there was no obstacles, if there was no pushback to you trying to serve God as a freshman in high school or as a sophomore in college or working as a baker or working as an engineer, if there was no difficulty, there's no hardship, if it all made sense, then, then why would you actually need faith? Why would you need God? 
So in the midst of it, and Jehoshaphat knew that, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved. That's how to be not quickly broken, is to be able to be alarmed and be afraid and be, man, I'm, I'm, I, am, I don't know how this is going to work out, but God, I trust you. I set my face to seek after you. <laughs> Terrified, Jehoshaphat begged God for guidance. Next time you're feeling that, when the blood's draining from your face, when you're feeling, when you're feeling those pins and needles and the butterflies are all over the place, I'm telling you, whip those butterflies into formation and, and get them to all fly in the right direction. Say, face, we are going to set ourselves to seek after God. We're going to trust God right now in the midst of all of this, in this pain, in this difficulty. But he didn't just set himself to seek after God. He set a positive example for those around him. He told the whole nation, hey, we're going to fast. And I hope you'll come back next week. I actually, this week, spent a lot of time writing the message I'm going to give next week about sort of the mechanics of fasting, what happens when we fast. And, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And I hope you'll come back. I'm really excited. I've never preached a whole message on fasting before. So that's going to be wonderful. Not quickly book in part three. Plug. All right. So what he does is he tells the whole nation, we're going to take these last couple days <laughs> that we're waiting for the army to get here. And we're going to all pray and seek after God together. And someone's like, no, no, no. We should be going on YouTube and watching Kung Fu videos. We should, we should be, you know, like Kevin McAllister setting traps everywhere, you know, for the arrival of this army. No, he says, we're going to seek after God and pray to him. Verse 4, so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one else is able to withstand you? Tell me if that's not going to put some steel in your spine. He's reminding himself, reminding the people of how big God is. When you feel small, remind yourself how big your God is. Because whatever you're facing, however small it makes you feel, let me tell you something, it's small compared to him. And every giant becomes a grasshopper when you remember the size of your God. So when your trials are feeling big, remind your trials how big your God is. And so he's, he's saying, you're, you're amazing, you're big. Verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham? Who's Abraham? Your friend forever. I love this, that he calls God Abraham's forever friend. Why is that so special? Because, and jot this, that's our first F word today. If, when you leave this day, you're going to have three F words that your pastor gave you on our birthday. So that's, that's it's a big deal. All right, so the first F word is friendship. Friendship with God changes everything. Because that big God who created the whole world, that big God who drove out the uh, ones living in the promised land before God sent his children in, that big God, he is Abraham's forever friend. And the Bible says that we, if we believe in Jesus, are the offspring of Abraham. He's the father of all those who believe. So that means that all the promises God gave to Abraham, we get to participate in. So what does that mean? I, that means that God brought you to church today so he could... He could, he could say this to you. He wants to be your friend forever. Friend, come on, best friends forever. There's no better friend than the most high God who made the world. He doesn't just want to be your God and your king and your Lord. He wants to do all that. He wants to be your friend. He wants to do this life with you. <coughs> Can't get so excited. It makes me cough. All right, so 
He wants to be your friend forever. And when you focus on your friendship with God, and, that, and when you remember that he's not a fair-weather friend, that he's, he's infinitely bigger than you could understand, but more intimately aware of what's going on in your life and has a plan and is working, as you remind yourself of your friendship with him, as you focus on your friendship with him, as you grow in your friendship with him. And we talked last week, if you, if you missed it, the, how do you grow in your friendship with God? Time. A great relationship is spelled T-I-M-E. So spend time with God. Seek after God. He's your forever friend. I just, I've never seen that verse before this week. I mean, I've read it probably 50 times, but never read friend forever. And I just, it jumped off the page to me. Verse eight, and your children dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sore judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. And we cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. <laughs> and this is where Joseph gets a little cheeky with God. Whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. All right, so backstory, you know Moses, he goes into Pharaoh, let my people go, and he's like, no, and he's like, bro, and, and there's like blood and stuff. And, and then eventually they get to go. Uh, on the way through into the promised land, they, they, would, they would drive out and fight against Jericho and AI and all these different people. But as they passed by these three, God said, don't drive them out. Leave them for whatever reason, leave them. And to Moses and Joshua and all the children of Israel, it seemed weird to leave them there. They're going to create a problem. They're not supposed to leave anybody else. Now, the funny thing was many people, God told them to drive out. They didn't drive out. And many of them wanted to drive out these ones that, can we just like let God be God for like half a minute? You know what I'm saying? Many of the things God's told us not to do, we, don't, we, we do, and told us to do, we don't do. And, and let's just like follow God. Like Here's our New Year's resolution. Like do what God says. And, and so Jehoshaphat is kind of, as he's praying, he's honest. He's like, um, so now we're getting like, like, I trust you and stuff, but like now we're getting attacked by those people that you told us not to attack. So that's awesome. And uh, maybe if we just would have attacked him, it would have been a big deal. And... So like, this is most human moment in his prayer, which is awesome, because God can handle your honesty. All right, verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Second F word, focus. Focus. He's looking at this massive army coming, and he goes, I don't, I don't know what to do except to lift my eyes up and to put them firmly on you. In this life, you get to either choose to worry about everything or in everything to give your request to him with prayer and supplication and gratitude, and you will find him causing his peace to rule in your heart. That's the anthem going into this new year. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The more you stare at your troubles and the more you stare at your worries, the more you'll be invaded with anxiety and the more peace you'll forfeit. But when you choose to do it, what he has done here, yeah, I don't understand why you didn't let us drive him out. 
And I don't understand why, as I've been trying to lead the nation in revival, you would allow this to happen. But you are God in heaven, so I trust you. I love you. Though you slay me, I will honor you. And, 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 and so here, I, I'm giving this to you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And then he says, we don't have any power to do anything. Can I tell you, the, the way to ultimate power is to admit to God you have no power. Because to the weak, he gives strength. He humbles the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so as we give ourselves to God and say, look, I don't know, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I have no power. You just watch as he increases your strength and gives you what you can't do on your own. Verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children, they stood before the Lord. I didn't include it, but I, we could have said family is another F word because it's here. They bring their kids into this and and let me, just, let me just encourage you, bring your kids into your faith's journey. Share with them what God's speaking to you. Let them know what, what, what your stumbles are, what your, what, how you're having a hard time. Ask them to pray. For, you want to be encouraged. Ask, you, ask your kids to pray for you. Uh, I think I have it with me still. Clover, I don't know if I have it in here. Yes, I was preaching last week um, at Passion. And it was the big, daunting, you know, biggest speaking engagement of my life and 65,000 people and live TV and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and Clover, my seven-year-old, she gives me this note, and let me read it to you. Love, Clover. Love you, Daddy. You can do this. God put this into you, and you can preach it out. And she hands that to me right before I preach. I'm like... I will, I will preach my brains out, honey. I mean, that, that is just so precious. That's her faith, the faith of a child. So, you know, you parents, bring your, bring your children into your faith journey. Let them, let them be a part of it and, and ask them what they're learning. That's why we have partnered with Orange with this Parent Q app where you every single week can watch the little story and get the questions that they'll suggest you ask your kid at dinner time or at bath time or driving to school next week about their, 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 their Bible story and let them know what you're learning and, and that's why we include our kids in our year-end offering and give them a chance to each week to bring their tithes to Jesus. And we get to talk about like what, what you're doing in the world, what you're doing in the world. With our, with our kids, we're always like, can you believe God's letting you do that? Can you believe that you're getting to partner with A21 to prevent human trafficking? Can, can you believe that you're getting, hey, you know, Clover and Lennox and, and your little boy and your little girl, hey, we, can you believe you've given away $2.6 million? Can you believe you've been a part of all that God's doing? Can you believe that God would let us be a part of 20,000 plus people giving their hearts to Jesus? Come on, just give God some praise if you're grateful. Bring... Bring your family in on it. How did Jehoshaphat know to bring reform? His father, Asa, taught him well. Now, if that discourages you, let me encourage you with this. Every godly lineage and legacy has to start somewhere. So why not you be the first? I was talking to my dad on the phone, and I was, you know, I'm very proud of my dad as a man of God who loves the Lord. And, and, and yet I was saying, isn't it amazing, Dad, that, that it had to start with you? Because before him, atheism, and, and before him, secularism, but it started with him. And so if you have, you know, godly parents and grandparents, praise God, continue to run with that. 
But if you'd say, look, I, my, my parents and God, you know, grandparents before me, none of them knew God. None of them followed God. Let me tell you something. It starts with you. It starts right now. God is starting something brand new. So you can believe for your grandson and your grandchildren to look back on you as the day that God overturned all those curses and God overturned all that sin and began something fresh and began something new that's going to spring forth from your family tree. So that is awesome. But I didn't plan to preach on that, so disregard that. <laughs> Verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah also, a Levite. I like him already. Of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. All that to say that God spoke to this pastor. Verse 15. And he said, listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Well, that's wonderful to know. They're still coming. There's still going to be three massive armies into one super evil Frankenstein army. And, there's, and he even tells them where they're going to show up. They're going to show up by Ziz, wherever that is. You're going to have to put on your armor, and you're going to have to go out, and you're going to have to stand there, and it's going to be terrifying. But just know, you will not be fighting this battle. This battle is not your battle. This battle belongs to God. And let me tell you, as you follow God and hardship rises against you and criticism rises against you and jealousy rises against you, as you seek to be like a Daniel, who all he wanted to do is be a good employee to the king, a good government employee. And, and the better he did, the more jealousy broke out against him. As you do what God's called you to do, and, and battles rise up, let me tell you something. If, if you didn't cause those battles, you don't have to worry about those battles. Those are not for you to fight. You just keep doing what God's called you to do. Don't back down. I say double down. Seek harder after God. And he's going to go to fight with you. You'll still have to show up, but you will watch him bring deliverance in your situation. And so that's very reassuring and refreshing. The Lord's going to be with you. He's going to fight it. You just watch. Verse 18, and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high, loud and high voices. So they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army, they were saying, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. 
All right, so this is, you can imagine, very confusing to the people as he was describing it to them. He goes, hey, so here's what's going to happen. Uh, normally, it's like the, the chariots and the, you know, the guys horse, on horseback and spearmen, slingers, you know, archers. We're going to go ahead and have a battalion of singers. And uh, so uh, we're going to have you, uh, I mean, we're going to get the worship team out here. I know they look like they did their battle preparation at Urban Outfitters, but, but they're going to be at the front. And uh, they're, they're, they are ready to go. So we, we need you to, like, uh, you know, just, just sing as loud as you can. So can you imagine as these army approaches, they see, they see the, 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 the nation of Judah being led by a company who are just singing praise songs, just worshiping, worshiping. Their, their, their song was to go before them. As they went to battle, knowing this wasn't their battle, it was God's battle, they were just meant to be there to watch him deliver them, they chose to lead the way with singing. And so that leads us to our, our final point for today, and that word is first. Before the battle, they sent first their song. And that's what I want you to, to see this 21 days of prayer and fasting as sort of a picture of, and really just this whole time of us as a church together saying, hey, this year, 2020, before we get to October, before we get to July, before we're even in the Ides of March, we're going to send our worship out before us. This is that. This is a picture of us as a church saying, with this new year, with this new decade, we're not going to take a, take a step into this year without first sending our song out ahead of us. We're going to send our worship out ahead of us. We're going to dedicate these days of prayer and fasting as a representative of the rest of the year, as a, as a way of us saying, this battle belongs to God. It's not flesh and blood, but it's, it's spiritual principalities and powers in, in heavenly places. And so we're sending our song before us. It's, it's a way uh, for us to do what Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That army sent their song out before, but before they, they went anywhere. They released victory through their praise. And as, as we do that as a church, as it's our custom every single year to say, we're not going to step into this year without first an act of worship, an act of consecrating ourselves. So let me just encourage you that even if you don't feel during these days like you're hearing from heaven, or even if you get to the 21st day and you feel like, I didn't get like a specific word or an assignment, I, I would just encourage you that the effects of this time are going to be felt all year long and not just while you're in it. Someone asked me, you know, what, what do you normally feel while you're fasting? And I, I said, hungry, actually. <laughs> Sometimes headachy, little bit low blood sugar. This year, I, I got sick during it. So if you feel lousy in the midst of it, that's Fine. It's not about what you get during it. It's about what it's doing to set your year up right, to put it on the right foundation, to say, I'm going to live a life based on worship and, and praise. I'm going to send my song out before me, and I'm going to believe there's going to be effects of it and ripples of it and, and waves felt throughout the year as it continues to progress. And, and, and you know, every day you can do this in miniature. The reason it's so important before you rush off to your appointments and to your meetings and to your classes to, you know, to quiet your heart for a few moments with a little bit of the book of Ephesians or you know, a piece of, of the gospel of John or a psalm or a, a new version devotional plan and a track off of Spotify from Fresh Life Worship, just, just sort of, what does it do? It sends worship out into your day ahead of you. It sends out a song of deliverance into your four o'clock meeting that you have so much anxiety about. 
about. We also do this every time we get paid, when we return the first and the best, the tithe. We take that first 10% to God. What are we doing? We're sending out a song of praise into every dollar we'll spend this month. And we're, we're securing blessing and, and, and really God's eyes on everything we do with our resources. We're honoring God with our first fruits, believing, as he said, that our barns will be filled with plenty and our wine vats will overflow with new wine, just unleaded wine for the next two weeks. All right, so here is uh, Jehoshaphat. He's got the singers. They're wearing their skinny jeans, and they are singing. And now it says in verse 22, when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped." They hadn't so much as pulled a sword out of a sheath or loosed one arrow from a bow. And as their song reached the plain, God caused such a division and such a, a spirit of animosity within the, the three factions that they began to fight. They began, there began to be this civil war, and, and they began to tear each other apart. And eventually, it was all-out war to where not one of them remained. Why? Because God had done what he had said he would do. The battle belonged to the Lord. He said to Jehoshaphat, you're going to have to show up, but you're not going to have to do anything. You are not going to have to fight this battle. You don't have to get on Facebook and defend your honor. You are going to watch me defend you. You're going to watch me raise your head. You're going to watch me bless you and me increase you. So what did they get to do? Well, God gave them a great job in verse 25. Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil. They found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. So what did they do? They stayed three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. Can you say Baraka with me? That's not how you say that word. All right. <laughs> I looked it up because I was like, Baraka? How you say that word in Hebrew is Braha. Braha. B-R-A-H-A-H is like the pronunciation. Braha. You have to say it like with surprise. Braha. <laughs> he named this valley the valley, the valley of? Braha. For there they blessed the Lord Therefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Braha until this day. The word Braha means blessing. This valley, where it seemed just a couple days ago, where every single one of them were going to die, in the end, to this day, its name would be the Valley of Blessing. For there God blessed the nation of Judah. Bless them with more silver and gold and treasure than they could possibly even cart off. It took them three days of just picking up treasure, which just shows you God has a sense of humor. When Jehoshaphat was going like, why didn't you let Moses and Joshua take them out back then? God's like, because I knew you needed some of their resource here. 
Why did all those soldiers bring all of this treasure with them? Why did they bring all of their possessions with them to the battlefield? Because God essentially used them as his postmates to get the resource that he needed to God's people to bless them. Come on, he had blessing written all over this story from the beginning. It just didn't seem like it in the beginning. It didn't seem like it when the, the report came from the doctor. It didn't seem like it when you got laid off. It didn't seem like it when your best friend stabbed you in the back and, and dated your boyfriend. It didn't, it didn't seem like it when, when you were all alone on Friday night because all your friends had wanted, wanted nothing to do with you, but then you ended up seeing on Instagram, they were all hanging out together, but you're not bitter, you just are aware of it. But God had a plan. God was always working in the details, always working in the shadows, always working in the dark part of your life. I, I was thinking about how this, this story, if it teaches us anything, it, it really teaches us that, that the things that we thought at one point, at one point were gonna destroy us, we're actually there all along to bless us. So I just encourage you who right now, you're in some braha that doesn't feel like it's a blessing, just to speak blessing over it and to believe that God has a plan and to resolve in the meantime that you're gonna worship him, you're gonna trust him, you're gonna honor him. What's our spirit going into this new year? What's our spirit going into a new decade facing our 14th year of ministry? I think it should be verse 20. Verse 20 says, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. I'll have you pay attention to the fact that this is 2 Chronicles 2020. Come on, what's our 2020? It's a year of believing in God and being established, believing what he's prophesied and knowing that we will prosper. I love it because the name Jehoshaphat means my God is my judge. God is my judge. I think all too often we put on the, the ceremonial judge wig. We put on the black gown. We grab ourselves a gavel and we walk around slamming down whether things are good or bad. We see something, we experience something, betrayal, this hard thing, this challenging thing, and we, we, we instantly go bad, bad, bad. What if in the bad, God was preparing you for good you couldn't dream of, blessing you wouldn't be able to contain, knowledge of his character, peace in places that you, you don't even know you need it yet. Come on, let's let God be our judge. Let's be Jehoshaphat. Let's believe that God is preparing us for a valley of blessing. And in the meantime, let's let our voice go before us into this year. Let's let the song of 